0: Why does Step 5 ask us to share the exact nature of our wrongs? What do we gain from this? Welcome to Episode 271 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Penelope, Debbie, Brigitte, and Amelia. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Penelope, Debbie, Brigitte, and Amelia for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Today, I'm sharing with you Mary Pearl T's thoughts on step five.
1: Okay, we're on step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. We admit to God for forgiveness, to ourselves for awareness, and to someone else for humility. For humility. Um it's another ego deflation step, just as steps one, two, and three are. I can't, God can, think I'll let him. Now, what part have I played in my own misery? Here we are at four, you know. I told him, you know, why do we have to tell somebody else? Well, I don't know about you, but if I didn't have to confess and tell somebody else and be accountable from that point forward... I would just forget about a lot of this stuff and let it go away because time and again over the course of my life, I have looked back at my life at various things and I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. I probably didn't do that. (laughs) God, I hope I didn't do that. You know, and I can minimize stuff and justify and rationalize anything away. But once you say it out loud and you tell another person, it's out there. It is out there. You know, and, I, and guess what? The world still turns. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, when I tell this, this is going to freak them out. They're going to throw me out of al Because I enjoyed sort of being the worst of the worst. If you can't be the best of the best, go for the worst of the worst, you know. And when I got through with doing my first inventory after, well, not the very first, after the the first real inventory, where I was answering all these questions and really taking a look at myself to find out the truth of myself, I had tremendous guilt Because I could no longer blame. That was one of the things I was told in the instructions. You are not allowed to blame. You can't say, I did this because they did that. In other words, all you can say is, I did this. You know, Because the bottom line is, nobody makes you do those things. You have choices. The fact you didn't know you had a choice has nothing to do with it. You did have a choice, everyone. And see, that's what I found out when I got here, that some people made a lot better choices before they got here than I did. And I had to accept the fact that, hey, I'm an impulsive person. And I am an obsessive-compulsive person. And I never do anything just once. You know, I mean, I have to do it again and again and again. And I get tickled sometimes. I had a girl that uh, sponsored that left the program, and she came back about ten years later. And I'm always grateful. We call these people who go quit and come back, we call them retreads. (laughs) And I'm always glad to see the retread coming because if for no other reason they proved to me it's not any better out there. You know, they usually look like a lot worse shape than they did the first time they come because you've got to hit another bottom before you're willing, and especially when you've been a dropout, to, to be able to come back in. And so I've always been grateful for them, so they've kept me in. So I don't have to go back out. I can look at them and tell. I don't want to go back out there. But she says, the people here are still saying the same things they did when I left. And I said, and they're still here living life on life's terms, and they're not looking like dog meat. She said, you got a point there. I said, you have to go back out there. You can't listen to experience. And I said, the reason we do this, we we go to meetings and you hear the same things again and again and again, is I believe when you went to school, you didn't sit down in your first reading class and learn to read. You had to hear words again and again and again. And I said, and what they mean to you when you first came in will mean something a lot different further down. I said, they grow in depth. They grow in meaning. And I said, you will be sure every inventory you take, you're going to find something at a different level within you that maybe that you didn't realize was as much a problem as it is because we have a tendency to gloss over things. And I said, and after a while, if you peel onion layer after onion layer off, you're going to get down to the core of you and find out that, yes, that I am that kind of person. I have the ability to be that kind of person, but I can change and be a better person. And I said, it will take a little while to do that because you don't get here overnight. You don't meet an alcoholic one day and end up in Elanon the next. That's very unusual, let's put it that way. We had a girl to come to our group one time, and she said she advertised for a mate in the newspaper, and she found an alcoholic. And I said, I'm surprised. They must have been wrapping it around their bottle at the time. <laughs> I can't see them reading the personal columns because there's always enough sick Al-Anons out there to <laughs> to find one. You know, I love it when the AAs come to the Al-Anon meetings searching. You know, they're looking for some a caretaker, what have you. well, and don't we look for people to take care of? Because when I got here, my self-esteem was involved in being needed. I needed to be needed. And that was where I got my self-esteem. And that's what I found out. So when I completed this first inventory and I had all this guilt, the the lady that I asked to, to do this with me I thought, oh, she's, she's just going to be terrified and she's going to run from the room and she's going to be all those things. But like I said, she wasn't, she wasn't like that at all. And I had tremendous feeling of being one of after having done a fourth and fifth step. It seemed like to me I became part of the group. Other people had done these things and they had survived. As far as I know, it's nowhere on record anyone has succumbed while doing a fourth and fifth step. You know, and, uh, I'm sorry, but no one goes, oh, my God, did you do that? You know, I've never known anyone to do that. They might have thought that, but they never did that. (laughs) You know, and I I love one of the girls in our group, when she finished her inventory, they tore it up and burned it, and she cooked a hamburger over it. She said something good was going to come of that. (laughs) So I think that's funny. But... The the bottom line is we got on our knees and we prayed before we started that fifth step. And she prayed that God would help me to be able to tell the truth and to be honest and to accept what I had heard. And for everything that would come of this would be of benefit to me at some point. And then when we finished, we got on our knees and I prayed and asked God for forgiveness for all of those things that I had done. And I asked God to make me whole. And you when I, we got through, she handed me a plain piece of white paper, and she says, Now, you have a clean sheet to write on. You can put that in the past, and the past may never hurt you again, and you don't ever have to bring up anything from the past again that has caused you pain unless you choose to share it with someone else to help them. And you know, the thing about it is, once it was out, it lost all of that power it had over me. I didn't feel like the world would come to an end if somebody found out because somebody had and the world went on. You know, it was like it sets you free. And in the big book it talks about that you're creating an arch with which to walk through as a free person. You know, you don't have to be bound by all that garbage of the past anymore. It sets you free. And, you know, all my life, I can remember as a kid when I played jacks and you throw a rotten hand you yell over, and that's what I wanted to do with my life. So many times I would call it starting over a different place, different people. And guess what? It always got in the same snafu before it was over with. How does that happen? Because nothing was any different. I kept doing the things I knew to do. I didn't have any new information. And here you come and you learn, and by working the steps, you get new tools and new information that will help you to create a better kind of life than you have ever dreamed possible. It's amazing. Um, and then, uh, instead of following the directions, I sat down and waited for perfection to happen. <laughs> you know? The only thing about now, when you finish the fifth step, you're also given The curse of Al-Anon. And the curse is awareness. The things that you used to do and didn't think anything about, now you have awareness. It's like, oh God, I just told a lie. I heard myself tell a lie. Why did I tell a lie? Because it's more habit to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth. Oh, why did I do this? Because nothing has changed. You're just aware. It's like bringing stuff up to the surface, but nothing has changed. You still have all the ability to do those things that you had. But now you have the awareness, and awareness will haunt you. I mean, it's a bad booger, you know. (laughs) Over the years, I've done many fifth steps with people, and that's one of the greatest honors that's ever been given to me for someone else to share their life with me, to trust you enough to open up the dark corners of their life and to share those things with you. Uh, And a closeness and a bond develops because of that, you know, because there's someone that knows everything there is to know about you and loves you in spite of those things. You know, it's like, I. you know, one of my favorite things is to tell somebody, I can love you more because I know you better. You know, it's a freedom. Now, I want to caution you here, freedom does not come, and relief will not come from confessing the sins of others. Be surprised how many people go to do a fifth step and want to blame everything they've done on somebody else, you know. And I just tell them, you know, that's not an inventory. Sorry, that's not your inventory. That's somebody else's inventory. And we have to start over. Now, we won't take all that out. And when I was writing my fourth step, I was told that if I see something and looking back over it that isn't true, not to destroy it, but just put a line through it and write what the truth is. And I had to do that several times on same thing every time I'd look it over. And one of those things was the fact that I had been, I had had an affair when I was married the first time. And I said to myself, well, the reason that I had the fact, see, you have to have reasons. You can't just say I had an affair. (laughs) You have to have a reason that's acceptable to you. And so I said, well, I noticed that uh, when we were overseas, how many of the men that were there without their families uh, made use of the the girls locally and dated and had affairs. And so I felt like since my husband got there several months before I did, that he probably did the same. How could he do that? How could he do that? Well, with my belief system of revenge, I was entitled to have one too. Now, wasn't I according to that? Now, see, I never even thought like that till I'd already picked him out. And so now you have to start justifying why it's going to be okay to do what you know you're going to do. But you got to do it so you can live with it. And the thing about it is, is every time you compromise one of your beliefs, not somebody else's, but every time you compromise one of your beliefs, your self-esteem goes down, down, down. You know, if you believe that you should never tell a lie, when you tell a lie, your self-esteem about yourself is going to go down, down, down. You're compromising your own belief system. Now, I, you know, when I when I was growing up, I had the idea that I was going to get married and I was going to have a family and I was going to live happily ever after. Isn't that what you do as a little kid? And so I got married. I was not happy. I got married. Why did I get married? To get away from home. Why? Because I hated my mother. I wanted to get away from her. Well, you know, nowadays kids just run away. Well, you know, back in my day, the only way you left home was at the college degree or an MRS degree. That's the only two ways you got away from home. There were honorable ways to leave home. A woman living alone in an apartment, huzzie. You know, I mean, that was how I grew up. And so therefore I couldn't, I couldn't go that route. So I had to get married. And so my mother's great fear was my mother was always hung up about sex a lot. And she was so afraid that I would get pregnant, and not be married, and that would reflect against her. If see, if she had been a better mother, that wouldn't have happened. Well, I wasn't doing anything made you want to, though, <laughs> to get even with her, you know, for all that stuff. But anyway, I got married and, uh, and and then, like I say, children didn't come along, and I was feeling less than. And my mother said to me always, she said, you should have been a boy. Why should I have been a boy? Well, because there's nothing feminine about you. Well, thank you for sharing, Mother. Uh, <laughs> Okay. I'm living away from home. I'm married about a year. And then there was an article in a paper about a Christine Jorgensen. Now, I don't know how many people here remember this, but this was the first person that ever had the sex change operation. And they were from like Switzerland, someplace over in Europe, seems like, or Sweden, somewhere. And so I thought, that's what it is. I'm a I'm a man in a woman's body. That has to be what it is. So I have all this confusion going on around me, and so when I met this uh, gentleman, and uh, and he gave me a look, and that look was like woof, and I thought aha, (laughs) and then I realized no, I was not a man in a man um, a man in a woman's body. Definitely a woman here, and uh, and he's definitely man over there. And you know when you look at one another and you know what they know and they know what you know, that look, the affair has begun. Now, if you don't take action immediately, the affair has begun. And so when I was having to look at this inventory, I looked at it and I said, well, since my husband probably ran around them, and I thought, "Lie." And so I thought for a little more about that, and I prayed, and I said, God, what is the truth? And the truth was I did it because I wanted to. I wanted to do it more than I didn't want to do it, or I wouldn't have done it. Because what we want to do the most, we do. It's that simple. So I took responsibility for what I had done. I took the responsibility instead of blaming someone else. And you know something? I felt freer on the inside because I had owned up to what I had done. And the reason you tell one person, you know, there was, when I came in, a lot of people weren't doing four steps back then. And uh, one of them say, well, I've told the group my inventory. I've told this at this time and this at this time and this at this time. And, and I looked at that and I thought, bull. That's, nobody knows the whole story. A little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. This is where every, one person knows everything. It's a true, true thing to, to let one person see the total of you instead of trying to keep the illusion in that person that you only did this or only did that. It's just a way of not being honest with yourself. And it, it also tells us don't take your inventory with a family member. You have no right to dump your garbage on other people. You know, take, it's like when you're in the picture, you can't see the picture. Someone outside the picture can see the whole picture. So that's the reason it's nice to have someone to do that with. Um, after that fifth step, I felt clean. I felt closer to God. I felt like I deserved God's love. I had that feeling, and I know feelings aren't necessarily facts, but I needed to have that feeling that I was worthy of God to love me. Because see, I, the, up until that point, I was pretty much saying God loves me because God's God, because I'm certainly not worthy. And now I look and I went, wait a minute, I'm not a totally bad person. Every bad person has done good things. Every good person has done bad things. I think what I am is a human being just a human being, and it's just enough to be. It's okay. And that's where we say in this fellowship, we're a fellowship of equals. We're all just children of God. We're all God's kids. And I've accepted the fact that I was a child of God because I was made by God and I was worthy of God's love If for no other reason because he created me. And it didn't make any difference what I'd done. I had seen people who had kids. And the people that had kids, some of those kids are doing terrible, terrible, terrible things. And no matter what, they may hate what the kids are doing. They still love the kid. And I thought, that is so neat. That must be the way that God loves me. Because, you see, I never felt my mother loved me no matter what I did, good or bad. But I always knew my dad loved me no matter what I did. And so that told me that that was a God kind of love, that no matter what you do, God loves you. And I felt like a real Elanon because I'd been working the steps. I'd done my part. I had done my part. And I felt a part of instead of a part from. The tragedy is to sit in a meeting of Elanon and be isolated within your meeting feeling that you're not a part of the group, that you don't belong. And if you don't have a home group, for God's sake, get you a home group, a place where that you are there on a regular basis and that you see people and you let people get to know you. Remember, it is Al-Anon family groups. We are a family. We are not just a meeting. We are a fellowship in fact, my home group knows me better than my natural family ever would have known me because I could be more honest with them than I could be. You know, I can remember the the first um, Christmas, this newcomer came in, and we were talking about all meeting Christmas night, and she said, Y'all come to meetings on Christmas? Oh, God, you need one more than and ever because you've been with family. You know, now you're with people who understand you and who accept you and don't ask you to have to do anything. You know, and that isn't always true in a natural family. There's expectations and stuff. But in your al group, everybody is the same. It's talking about here the exact nature of your wrongs. And those are the defects and shortcomings which stand between you and your usefulness to God and your fellow man. That's what it's all about. What are the things that are within me that stand between me and my use to God and my fellow man? Those are the things that I need to get rid of. And so we move on into step six.
0: In this episode, I'm featuring music that you sent in. First one is from Justine, who writes about the song by Halsey called Without Me. She writes, this song reminds me not to be controlling slash enabling of my loved one's recovery. Some lyrics here found you when your heart was broke. I filled your cup until it overflowed, took it so far to keep you close. I was afraid to leave you on your own. I said, I'd catch you if you fall. And if they laugh, then F them all. And then I got you off your knees, put you right back on your feet, just so you can take advantage of me. I don't know about you, but yeah, those, those lyrics speak to my experience certainly before Al-Anon, and when I fall back into my old behavior. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And it's been, as they say, it's been a quiet week, which is, you know, kind of wonderful, (laughs) really. Oh, drama. I don't need it. Well, I wanted to reflect on a meeting that I went to on step 10. This is my, my regular Saturday meeting. And I got there, and I saw that there was a third table with just a few people sitting around it. it the, the meeting, When the meeting's large, we expand to try to keep the number of people around each table to 10 or less so that it gives everybody a reasonable amount of time to share in. And so I sat down at that table, and they were talking about step 10 being the step of the week. One of the members at the table said something that really put step 10 in a new light for me. I, you know, I don't know if I thought about it this way before, but it seemed like a new thought, which is that step 10, you know, it asks us to continue to take inventory and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. And this person was talking about how early on they might, they might realize they had done something wrong a while after they had done it, you know, a few hours or a day or so, and then as they worked that step more and more, the time between the act and the realization and the admission got shorter and shorter. And it might just be a few minutes, it might be sort of immediately. And what that made me think was that I think there's actually a further progression of that step 10 work, which is when I realize before I do something that it's going to be an error and I don't do it. And I shared an example, which I think I may have shared here before. But a few weeks ago, I was at work, and I was feeling stressed and hurried and impatient. And somebody was trying to explain something that I thought could be explained much more simply. And so I interrupted, which is one of my character defects that I'm still working on. I interrupted to try to shorten the conversation so that we could get back to work. Every time I interrupted, and this happened multiple times, of course... Living in my defects there. Every time I interrupted, the person who was trying to explain lost their train of thought and had to go back to the beginning. And so, of course, that just made me more impatient and more frustrated and more wanting to interrupt. And they got more frustrated and more flustered. And it was not a good thing. And, and I had to apologize afterwards, after another one of my coworkers pointed out that this was really inappropriate. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Okay. I mean, I didn't even catch it myself. I mean, I sort of knew that it was a problem, but I was just trying to get to the end. (sighs) So fast forward a couple of weeks or so, and another coworker is launching into what seems to me to be a long-winded explanation of something that could be explained in many fewer words. But this time, I recognized what I was about to do, and I kept my mouth shut. And I was like, wow, yay, progress. Giving it over, and then... Doing the step, doing the you know, doing my part to actually change behavior. Step six and seven there. So maybe that more than step ten. But this idea that I can do better than promptly admit when I'm wrong if I can catch it before I do it. Anyway, um, somebody else around the table wrote that down. So I guess it struck somebody more than just me. So last week I said I want to do uh, an end of year, beginning of year episode about. I don't know what the title is, something like my year in recovery, where I'm asking you to share what recovery has meant for you this year, what you hope to do in the coming year in your recovery program. Please send email, call and leave a voicemail, record a voicemail on your phone and email it. All those ways to contribute to the show that you can find at therecovery.show contact. You can call and leave a voicemail 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to leave a message directly from your computer, or you can send an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Love to hear your voices. It really, I think, expands what we're able to do here when we get more voices into the, into the show. So please call. And as I mentioned, the website is therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode there, so therecovery.show slash 271. For this episode, where I'll put links to the music that I talk about that was suggested by you, my listener, and other links that uh, we may talk about during the episode. Amy sent a song suggestion, which again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 271. She writes, I also wanted to add a song to your list that really helped me through some rough times, and the holiday season seems like the perfect time for it. I want to recommend Count Your Blessings, sung by Bing Crosby and White Christmas. I really love the first part of the song. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep, and I fall asleep counting my blessings. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when I had none at all, and I fall asleep counting my blessings. Amy also says about this song, I sang this song in my head often before I found Alanon, and now I laugh because it helped me to think about what I was grateful for, a.k.a. a gratitude list. Well played, Higher Power. Thank you, Amy, for that suggestion. It's the, uh, the gratitude list method of getting to sleep. Captured in a song, what, 80 years ago? Something like that? Well, like I said, I'd love to hear from you. And some of you have shared with us here. Penelope writes, Spencer, I enjoy your show so much and appreciate Eric and your other guests. You asked about input for your listeners' feeling of gratitude during this season. One of the best tools of my recovery has been the gratitude journal I have faithfully written in each day. I can always find at least three things I am thankful for without repeating, and it has been very helpful in keeping me focused on the good in my life during difficult times. I also find spontaneous thanks during the day helpful. Thank you, God, when a careless driver misses me. Thank you for my good health and the creature comforts I tend to take for granted. Thank you for such a wise sponsor. Thank you for the beauty I see during my morning walk and for the chiropractor that makes my walk painless these days. Spontaneous thank yous during the day remind me that my loved ones and I are watched over and guided, even when we don't know where we're going. We don't have to wait for Thanksgiving to be grateful. Penelope. And thank you for that, Penelope. And I think this came in a little while ago and I missed it. Uh, so my apologies for for delaying, but it it's always good to be reminded about gratitude, about being thankful. And I I have to admit, I have never thought of being thankful for the careless driver who misses me. I'm too busy being angry at them. and pissed off. So, attitude change. Attitude change, maybe. reduce my road rage a little bit. So, thanks for that idea. Absolutely. Karen left a comment on episode 270, Do You Believe? This was such a wonderful episode. Thank you. I choose to see the miracles of my daily life. In gratitude, remember, we remember what a gift our lives are. We see the miracles in our lives through hard work in the program. It's a promise of working the 12 steps in Alanon, Our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear, and we will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. As you said, when I look, I notice. I wanted to note, too, that I've always loved Andrew Wyeth's painting, Christina's World, which would take me pages to explain in detail both my interpretation of the painting and why I love it. The gist is that Christina has Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, which causes weakness in the feet and lower leg muscles. So while Christina appears to be far from home in the painting, she is not. It is because of her struggle not being able to walk. She must crawl, and the home appears so far. As Wyeth wrote, If, in some small way, I've been able to p- in paint to make the viewer sense that her world may be limited physically, but by no means spiritually, then I have achieved what I set out to do. Through our spiritual pursuits, we recognize that we are not limited. I'm so grateful that after being completely affected by active addiction, I can focus my attention and thoughts in a productive way and enjoy a happy, joyous, and free life. Karen left a link to uh, an article about the painting Christina's World. And this is a comment on that episode 270, do you believe, at therecovery.show. Also, she mentioned um, a promise of the 12 steps, and this is from The book, From Survival to Recovery, It's on page 269 or 270, depending which edition of the book you have. And there are, depending how you count them, 12 or 13 statements of recovery, of which that was one. Our site, Once Clouded and Confused, Will Clear, etc. Thanks, Karen. Amy shared. Hi, Spencer and the Recovery Show family. This is going to be a long email as I've been meaning to send all of these thoughts and recommendations for a while. I recently celebrated my one-year Al-Anon anniversary. I have to thank you and all your guest hosts for helping me to understand Al-Anon and help me build a strong recovery program. I listen to the Recovery Show every day during the week. I'm almost caught up now, and I'm looking forward to listening to episodes again as they speak to me or my higher power steers me toward one show over another. I've shared the Recovery Show with many of my Al-Anon friends. They even remind me that the podcast is an important part of my recovery program when I forget. The podcast has really improved my ability to be present and listen to what is being said, and I don't have to worry about what I want to say, because all I can do is listen. Lol. Then, if I have something important to share, I can call or email you and really take the time to organize my thoughts and ideas. I feel like I've become a better person through practicing my active listening skills using the podcast. It's also helped me with the need to help others fix their problems. I don't have to do that. It's enough to listen and be present with them. I found a really great book a few months ago, and others may benefit from it as well. It's called Undrunk, A Skeptic's Guide to AA by A.J. Adams. When I picked up this book, I was not ready to listen empathetically to the alcoholic's story. I was still hurt and angry with my family of origin. This book was wonderful for me and helped me to understand more about AA and the disease of alcoholism. The writer is honest, clever, and funny. He tells about his experience, strength, and hope very honestly. I also learned a lot about the similarities and differences between AA and Al-Anon. He goes through all the steps and traditions one at a time from the AA perspective. I found the section called Spin Dry, an insider's guide to AA lingo and slogans, super helpful, especially since I was still new to Al-Anon. I feel like I know all of you and appreciate all your hard work, Spencer, and everyone's contributions to the show. You all feel like very dear friends that are always with me. On a personal note, I love listening to you talk, Spencer. Your voice is so calming and soothing. Also, your accent and vocal patterns remind me of my fiancé's, since he grew up in upstate New York as well. I'm sending all of the Recovery Show family and listeners warm thoughts and wishes for the upcoming holiday season. With much love and gratitude, Amy. Jen writes, Hi, Spencer. I am the Jen who wrote about being messy and a cold case. I listened to you and Eric's response. It made a big impact on me. I went to an Al-Anon meeting the next day. They gave me a warm newcomer welcome. I belonged and was in the right place. I cried the whole time. I managed to get my story told despite being choked up. I will go back. I'm glad I went. I'm glad I am listened. I'm grateful you're there, Jen. And Jen, I'm I'm happy that you found a meeting, that it, it spoke to you. And thanks for updating us. On your your progress, and yeah, I cried in my first meeting. I cried through my first month of meetings, at least, which is was really new for me, crying in public. Whoa! But I felt safe to be able to do it, and I, you know, I couldn't talk without it. So there you go. Jeffrey wrote about episode two seventy. Came to believe, believe it or not, I've found five four leaf clovers, a six leaf clover, a seven leaf, and a nine. Gave them all away except for two four leaves. I'm just going to keep it short. Thanks again for your show, Jeffrey. Thanks for the note, Jeffrey. And wow, I didn't know clovers came that big. So that's pretty cool. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Penelope, Debbie, Brigitte, and Amelia did. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. And the third song was sent in by Diana Uh, I think it was a while ago. She says, Not sure if you've listened to Bear's Den Agape, but it really hits home with me. Talk about losing yourself for another. Here's some lyrics. Please don't dissipate. I know that I have got it all wrong. I'm reaching out to touch your voice, but baby, I'm clutching at straws, even though your words hurt the most. I still want to hear them every day. You say let it go, but I can't let it go. I won't leave every word that you say.